1: again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, USBets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And by the time you listen to this, there's a good chance a half-dozen more NBA superstars will be on the injured list than is the case at the moment we're recording this. So far, we've seen potentially series-swinging or even championship-swinging injuries, either late in the regular season or during the playoffs, to Anthony Davis, Joel Embiid, Kawhi Leonard, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Jalen Brown, DeAndre Hunter, Jamal Murray, and Mike Conley. Plus Chris Paul, who was injured and compromised for the first week or so of the postseason before recovering – is now out with COVID-19. John, are we looking at the biggest asterisk championship since, well, actually just last year, the whole playoffs took place in a bubble. So maybe that's not a very good question. Maybe I should ask this, of all the teams that made the playoffs, which fan base or which teams betters are you feeling the most sympathy for?
0: Uh, You know, focusing on the fan bases, you know, for me, I usually have to go to how long each of them has been in the title drought wilderness, right? And I realized the last NBA title for your 76ers was in 1983. Mm -hmm. So that seems hard to beat in a normal year. Um, Now, the Nets won in 1976, but that was ABA. And it was in New York, though, on that same Long Island as Brooklyn. Uh, I remember that. Uh, The Bucks have it once in 1971. That's 50 years ago. Wow. And I remember Mm -hmm. that one, too. Uh, The Hawks won in 1958, but That was in St. Louis and that's even before my time. Uh, The Jazz, the Clippers, the Suns, they've never won one. Uh, So this is a struggle. (laughs) Let's do, how many years has the franchise been in the current region and they haven't won? So the Clippers moved from Buffalo to San Diego 43 years ago and to Los Angeles only 37 years ago. That's not enough. Uh, The Jazz have been in Utah for 42 years, although I love Pistol Pete Maravich and a New Orleans Jazz who had a sensible nickname for their city. Uh, The Hawks have been in Atlanta for 53 years, nothing. The Suns in Phoenix, 53 years, nothing. (laughs) I'm relieved to say that I visited all these cities in the 1990s every year, so that helps my cause um, I didn't notice a lot of diehard Hawks or Clippers fans, so I kind of eliminate them. Phoenix was louder, but I think the weather's just too damn warm all year for them to gain full suffering privileges. I mean, mm-hmm. just go outside and you know walk around. It's fine. You're not toughing it out there. The most rabid fan base, and this may surprise people who haven't been of the non-winners, is Utah, the Salt Lake City fans. And that's basically been that way since they arrived, you know. Plus they go through winter and everything. Now, the 76ers in most years would be a great choice with only seven teams left. But, you know, many of their fans like cough yourself. You just got a Super Bowl for the Eagles a few years ago. And, True. you know, they have fans who don't even have ARP cards yet. I remember the last one in 1983. So uh, Utah doesn't have another major league team. So that's my pick.
1: Okay, you when and, and you know you mentioned the rabbit fans in Utah, I mean they poisoned Michael Jordan's pizza. I mean it doesn't get more <laughs> exactly. rabbit than that. Perhaps allegedly, uh-huh. we're not sure. Yeah, exactly. Um so, so uh the the team that I'm that I kind of come back to uh, look, some of these teams are winning despite their injuries, so me uh-huh. framing it as an injury question and you choosing to go a different direction with it kind of yeah. makes sense because the injuries haven't necessarily determined everything, but um I guess I would feel bad for Suns fans if Chris Paul misses several games, Um, although the timing might work out that he doesn't miss any games or he only misses one. Uh, I certainly feel bad for Paul himself if, as has been reported, he did get vaccinated and then got unlucky with COVID. But I think I'll I'll hijack this conversation a bit to uh, talk about a fan base that needs everyone's sympathy, not for injury reasons, but just because their team is redefining choking, my Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, I I wrote at the start, uh, I I can't even put into (laughs) words what happened on Wednesday night. I wrote at the start of the series about the idea of an emotional hedge bet on the Hawks um, based on the thought that Joel Embiid's knee might not cooperate, uh, so we needed to hedge. Turns out the knee has been good enough Sixers just haven't been so far Um, but I I wrote in that about identifying an amount of money you can win on the Hawks that would soothe the pain of the Sixers Mm. bowing out Mm -hmm. the way this series has unfolded there's no amount of money that can soften this blow Um, assuming they don't rally to win the next two which they might of course uh, but I'm not optimistic about that Um, and I'll note that I don't see any talk of any sports books giving bad beat refunds for a team that blew a 26-point lead in the final (laughs) 14 minutes Um, and uh, there's a Certainly no such thing as an emotional bad beat refund. Uh, so I'm, I'm in a bit of a mood today, John, and uh, I'm counting on you to, to perhaps uh, lift my spirits somehow.
0: Uh, you know, I got to say, I met with one of the uh, 76ers slash Devils owners. They also mm-hmm. own the Prudential Center in Newark where the Devils play uh, a number of years ago and uh, the whole process thing. And, you know, these are brilliant hedge fund guys. Absolutely, you know, unbelievably smart. It's really impressive to talk with them. And, you know, they, they just bottom lined it to where, analyzing the NHL. Look, you just got to get in the playoffs. Your goalie gets hot. Who knows what happens? Uh, Whereas the NBA, the worst place you can be is, you know, fourth place in your division, your eighth seed or seventh seed. Um, So from an intellectual standpoint, it made sense to go through that process they talked about, but You know, these are these are human beings. These are players, the fans, just um, multiple years. You're not guaranteed anything, obviously, from your draft picks. Uh, I just found the whole thing so distasteful that I I can't really sympathize with uh, Sixers fans because of the choice of their owners. I understand what they're doing and why they did it. And look, they got a very good team and they have a chance to win a championship. So it's not it's not stupid. It's just um, kind of offensive to me
1: yeah a lot of people feel that way and uh, I I don't think that uh, look we can't say the process has succeeded Uh, we can't say it has failed Um, I think that people will. if they don't win a championship there will be some debate of how good of a contender counts as success for the project for the process uh, I should say but you brought up the human element you can uh, run all the metrics you want get all the high draft picks you want sometimes you have a human who uh, gets to the foul line and freezes up like a little kid and (laughs) Ben Simmons has a mental block going on shooting free throws and uh i don't know i I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole but let's just say if the sixers don't get out of this series against the hawks i don't think ben simmons is on the sixers next year
0: so 76ers bucks eastern conference finals Uh, how many fouls (laughs) are committed in the fourth quarter against all players (laughs)
1: that will if they can both get there we will see the ultimate epic battle of who can who can be the last not to choke will win that series
0: It's going to be, I mean, those are going to be 12 man rosters. Let's put it that way. Right. The guys that haven't played (laughs) in two months are going to be like, get out there. You got six fouls to give, give give them. (laughs) Yeah.
1: All right. Uh, Enough basketball talk. Let's uh, talk about the whole gambling world. Thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 147 of gamble on. If you missed any of our previous 146 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple podcasts, and Spotify. There's no better way to spend your downtime while recovering from a torn meniscus or bum ACL or dealing with the emotional fallout of an epic choke job than listening to episodes of Gamble On, and of course, giving us a five-star rating.
0: Yeah, and Eric, coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by HPL Digital Sports CEO Ed Moed, whose company just released some very interesting survey results about the sports betting industry. So we're going to talk to Ed about gender breakdowns of bettors, generational divides in sports betting, and how sportsbooks could or should respond to the survey results going forward. But first, it's been a busy week in the world of gambling, at least for me. Uh, so let's get to it.
2: Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the
0: world of gambling.
1: Let's start the news segment in Ohio, which for about two years now has held the title of Biggest State Everyone Expects to Legalize Sports Betting Next only to disappoint backers every time so far. Well, this past week brought significant progress, but also a sprinkling of concern. On Tuesday, the sports betting bill, SB 176, moved out of committee, and on Wednesday, it received a vote on the Senate floor and passed easily. Next, it goes to the House. But there were quite a few amendments this week, so it's anyone's guess whether the House will find issue with any part of the legislation. Among the amendments, Whereas the original bill called for two types of licenses, for mobile platforms and brick and mortar establishments, now kiosks at restaurants, bars, and nightclubs have been added to the mix. The sports leagues will now receive some sort of not clearly defined preferential access to betting licenses. And tying into a topic we discussed last week, there's an amendment to ban wagering on any contest featuring an athlete under the age of 18. Uh, We'll see if the House has a problem with any of this, but for now, The bill has cleared the Senate and Governor Mike DeWine has indicated he'll sign it if it lands on his desk. Uh, So John, how optimistic should Ohioans be right now that they'll have sports betting by next spring currently the earliest this could possibly be in place and any thoughts on the relatively open market they seem to be headed toward in ohio if the bill passes
0: well you know first off i'm claiming honors for my mini rant last week about it being kind of creepy for me to having bet on a high school junior <laughs> at age 17 at the u.s open, women's open golf right which to be clear i only did for podcast banter purposes <laughs> and i only bet a dollar but still uh and now don't try to convince me that a lawmakers aid in the buckeye state isn't a loyal subscriber. I'm just gonna uh, stick with that in my head and not gonna be talked out of it so uh now would i be optimistic if i'm in ohio um Hell to the no, do people still say that? Probably not, but I'll I'll try and revive it. Um, Look, each of these amendments produces its own rabbit holes and it only takes one trip down any of them to sink the bill. By the way, this is exactly why Senator Ray Lesniak in New Jersey a decade ago agreed not to permit betting on New Jersey college teams. He wanted to avoid the drama, pass the bill into law, lure the leagues into suing the state, then prevail in federal court, all of which happened. So for people who are still kind of carping on that, um, and by the way, just uh, Wednesday, uh, the Assembly Committee uh, passed this uh, bill to approve it. And so voters in November are going to approve college sports betting on New Jersey teams. And next March, madness, it'll happen. So uh, I don't think you want to let the perfect be the enemy of the good there. So uh, I think that's probably the, the big takeaway for the lawmakers there who no doubt are listening to this podcast because of that uh, little caveat added in there. But um, so even if an amendment or two seems kind of dopey, just consider whether it's really worth torpedoing the whole overall bill over. Maybe not. Maybe you just say, yeah, you know what, if that's what it takes to get it passed, fine. We'll add, you know, the thing in bars or the, you know, the leagues get something, whatever it is, just, uh, you know, just get it passed. And then you can always revise it later as New Jersey's right now is even showing.
1: Yeah, you're right that Ohio, with all these little amendments and rules that the perfect uh, as the enemy of the good that that might well apply here. There's one strange rule that stood out to me that counties with populations under a 100,000 are not eligible for a retail sports book, which means some casinos will be frozen out. Oh. Uh, this feels like a major sticking point that will have to be worked out. Um, and then there's another thing uh, in a Cincinnati Enquirer article, a lawyer named Nicholas Pittner said the state constitution bans some forms of gambling and he's not sure if the legislature can supersede oh. that and this might go to the courts. Um, so, If I had to guess, I'd say there are enough roadblocks remaining that uh, sports betting will not be up and running in Ohio by that April 1st date. I I feel pretty confident in that. I'm maybe still a little more optimistic than you are that they're getting close. And, uh, you know, if they view April 1st as not a date to rush toward, I mean... You know, with all due respect to the Reds and the Indians, uh, that's that's not what people are looking to bet on. Mm-hmm. S- take it, slow down just a little, and maybe see if you can get this ready by 2022 football season. But perhaps I'm still being overly optimistic, even yeah, looking at that. These
0: look exactly like lobbyist poison pills. You figure out if we do this one, we know it's going to tick off this group. That's six mm-hmm. lawmakers we got, and this yeah. one gets ten more, <laughs> and this one gets the other one. So uh, find something for everybody not to be happy about, and then nobody wants to vote for it. Yeah. Um, on a
1: quick separate topic, I uh, should say a little something about the state of Maine, since we didn't have this as its own news item this week. But uh, late in the day, Wednesday, Maine's sports betting bill was revived uh, with just hours remaining in the session. Uh, our colleague Jill Dorson of Sports Handle reports that the session will likely be extended. So maybe sports betting moves along in Maine this year after all, uh, although the bill has been amended to allow only three online sports books, which eh, it's not a monopoly, it's better than that, but it's not ideal for consumers either. So I didn't prepare you that I would be mentioning Maine, it just uh, crossed my radar during my final stages of prep year, but uh, anything to comment on with the sudden revival in Maine?
0: um i got engaged there in the 90s but that's about all i know about me
1: <laughs> okay factor that in as a uh, main <laughs> approaches the possible finish line here okay. john got engaged there in the 90s will that swing sports betting to be determined <laughs> um for our second story this week uh, i'm giving john the car keys as he'll have a lot more to say about this topic than i will the era of in-person gaming conferences is poised to return soon but for now Last week saw two days of the SBC Digital North America conference with a multitude of panelists weighing in on all sorts of gaming industry topics. I didn't cover any of the panels, but John watched and wrote about several of them. So John, I'll pass it over to you. What were some of the notable takeaways from the various panels that you checked out? Was there anything unique about this event as compared to other recent conferences?
0: Well, I mean, the quality of the panels and panelists for this one is both a blessing and a curse for us and for me. Um, you know, in some cases with these events, I can see that a number of the panels really aren't in our wheelhouse. So we can skip those. And, uh, you know, it's, it's manageable. This was two long days of one relevant panel after another, sometimes simultaneously. So a little tough. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the one that had David Rebuck, the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement Director, um, very succinctly explaining how the state came to be such a pioneer in both sports betting and online casino more than a decade ago short answer necessity is the mother of invention you know that panel also had a european moderator who really wondered why online gaming companies have to share the wealth with casinos and racetracks in so many u.s states very strange to him and Mm -hmm. the panel had polite interesting pushback on that which was good and entertaining um i was able to listen to two out of four responsible gaming panels too and admit i had been guilty of thinking of those efforts as trying to just assist someone whose life has gone off the rails and of course that's crucially important but really it's obviously a lot better for these companies to try to focus on how to prevent someone from starting to slip from, you know, from a little bit of trouble into bigger trouble. That's the point where you really got to catch them. And, you know, there are a lot of really good communication tools that can do that day. The, the panelists explained, like uh, some of it is in-person communication. You, just, you get to know a regular customer and literally can talk on the phone or text or whatever and say, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll figure this out. And there's an explanation of how a lot of, sort of at-risk gamblers don't realize that the amount they're betting and the amount of time they're spending on betting is a lot higher than, than average. And just explaining what the typical customer does, that behavior, uh, they said that some of them say, oh, wow, I, that's, I guess I'm doing a lot more than I really should. Kind of a normative thing where, you know, they don't, they don't have to care what the average person does, but, you know, people like to blend in and uh, fit in. So I like that. Our colleague, Brian Pempis, had a good one on the remarkably high, the, what they call friction gambling operators still, still face. Around 35% in nearly having a new customer on board, but frustration with the sign up process that leads that very casual gambler to just say, you know, I give up. And I can relate yeah. to that. I almost sign up for a bunch of things. And then I, if I get any kind of pushback or confusion or I lose the screen or whatever it is, I just move on because I'm just barely interested in it. And there's a lot of casual gamblers in that line. So, and there's so many more panels, and I think all of them are still archived. So I recommend uh, uh, anybody looking into them and let me know which are the best ones that our team missed. We we tried.
1: Yeah, um, and uh, and you didn't talk about it here, but you pa- covered some panels where there was. Uh, well, you did mention Rebuck, but not specifically yeah. the way that the panels were uh, fluffing the ego of uh, all of New Jersey. Uh, and <laughs> yes. and and it's deserved. Of course, we would not be where <laughs> we are right now if not for the power brokers <laughs> and legal minds in Jersey making the moves they made. Um, I have I have a feeling you and everyone else feeling that Jersey pride will still be taking victory laps for their, I don't know another five years or so on all this stuff, at least. Um, it, it is
0: fun. It is funny because it, it's true. There's there were two uh, full panels that I saw that very much were, were New Jersey centric. and you know, as you say, it is it is what it is. It is what happened, right. and so uh, it's only fair that people pay tribute. But um, I'm not tired of it yet, Eric. I can. <laughs> no,
1: I've noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> um, one one other topic covered uh, on U.S. bets by one of our other writers, Gary Rotstein, uh, that that caught my interest was the idea of omni-channel strategy, uh, gaming companies looking for customers who will engage in multiple forms of gambling, which mostly means customers who might enjoy the partial skill games of sports betting or online poker, but will ultimately take part in the little-to-no skill games found in online casino. Um, there was a telling quote from Dermot Smurfit, the CEO of Gan. He said, it's very difficult to make a profit when making 15 to 20 bucks a day from an online sports gambler versus 70 to 90 bucks from sports gamblers who cross over into online casino or from individual players who only want to play or engage in iGaming and ignore sports betting. You know, we all know this, but it's notable to hear it spelled out like this, that casino games are where the real money is for operators, plain and simple. Um, and then one other interesting quote there, Um, Adam Greenblatt, the BetMGM CEO said, within 10 days of someone gambling on the site, we can tell you with a high degree of confidence how much that player is worth. Uh, big brother is watching what you play and how much you spend so big brother knows john uh, that that you are not of much interest to them
0: yeah it's funny every single day every day seven days a week i get multiple pitches to try online casino and all kinds of bonuses to do it and a free this and a free that and um it's we we tend to sort of uh I think it's anthropomorph, anthropomorph, I can't even say it. We, we tend to think that we, we tend to think that these companies, like, they're getting frustrated. Like They keep sending me these offers, and I'm ignoring all of them, and like they, they, they're trying to figure it out, and they're banging their head in the den. Obviously, they're just sending out auto blasts, and they don't really care what I do anyway. And as you say, even if they did somehow lure me into online casino, they're still not going to make enough money to make it worth their paying attention. But I, I just like the idea that they're, they're frustrated, because the offers are getting better, I, I think, right. um, and that's just never going to (laughs) happen.
1: They're not going to get you to someday play a single 10-cent hand of blackjack online. No, not going to happen. (laughs) Um, Our third and final story this week comes to us via our colleague Chris Altruda, who is enjoying a well-deserved vacation this week. But just before clocking out last Friday, he wrote an article with some exclusive information that the industry previously did not have access to monthly sports betting handle figures in New York State, dating back to the opening of the Empire State's first sports book. New York releases revenue every month, but not handle or hold. So Chris submitted a Freedom of Information Law request on May 17th, and now we have it all the handle numbers for New York's four land based sports books and they are every bit as puny as we might have expected, and then some. Uh, Total, since July 2019, with only retail betting available, $231.1 million has been wagered in New York, (laughs) roughly the amount now bet in New Jersey in any given week. Uh, In January, when New Jersey flirted with a billion dollars of handle, New York crossed $20 million for the first and only (laughs) time Uh, for what it's worth. Rivers casino has the leading sports book in the state. Uh, And here's an interesting stat hold in New York is 11.4% way above the national average of 7% suggesting New Yorkers aren't very good at betting on sports. Although again, kind of a small sample size, I guess, Uh, John, what are the big takeaways for you from the numbers Chris obtained uh, as well as the numbers that he crunched after obtaining those numbers?
0: You know, we had a rough idea of that puny handle working backwards from revenue, um, but props to Chris for doing the just-in-case grunt work to get these, you know. If the hold was about the same in both states, then it's uh, not as noteworthy, but the harder you work, the luckier you get, and here we are talking about it, so, yeah. uh, and I wouldn't say New Yorkers aren't very good at betting on sports, you know, many of the best ones were in the New York City area, and they cross the Hudson over to New Jersey, where they can choose from, oh, I think it's less, I checked, 21 different apps, and they can get all kinds of better odds and everything, you know, all the New York State betting revenue comes from the Catskills casino almost 100 miles north of Manhattan and the three commercial casinos even farther north than that so I don't picture a ton of hardcore bookies living that far north so as they go where the money is naturally so instead I picture a lot of novices excited to take a whirl at a sports bet mm-hmm. and for those of them who like to play uh you know the, the slot machines and look for a big jackpot there or the lottery mega millions you know they look and see golly 10 team parlays a big payout they pan out maybe I'll try that And while the total betting volume in New York State doesn't surprise me at all, even though the, the, the hold was a little bit higher than I thought, it can be helpful to inform lawmakers in other states a little more specifically, you know, rather than working back and say, we're extrapolating here. It is They get right. kind of bored. This is like, look, so two full years of sports betting revenues in New York at the brick and mortar casinos equates to about 10 days worth of sports betting revenue in New Jersey and the resulting taxes, obviously. Are you still reluctant to go the mobile route? I think, <laughs> you know, this can be very helpful, helpful for some lobbyists who are working States where a lot of lawmakers aren't that familiar with it. think. Well, let's just try the, uh, the brick and mortar you know that's good money too right and because that 90 91 percent number in New Jersey for mobile right away it it was kind of amazing to everybody obviously it was going to be a bigger uh handle like and you know more people are you know shopping on Amazon and they are shopping in the local department store or whatever we know that but the 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 differential was enormous and so states making the choice of uh on mobile sports betting or not and even on like casino or not uh these numbers really you know really stand out and it's even neighboring states it's kind of cool everyone knows new york is bigger than new jersey so they should have bigger numbers and they have two years versus 10 days it's it's really incredible
1: yeah i mean it really makes clear that Retail only betting is not the answer, and especially not when it can only be done at four casinos located not that close to the main population center. Uh, So yeah, here's New York, the number four state in the country in terms of population, the number one state among States that have legal sports betting uh, in terms of population, and yet it's ranking 16th out of 20 in sports betting handles so far in 2021, down near Delaware, way behind Oregon for number 15. (laughs) Um, I mean... These are things that we know that that New York needs mobile betting and that everything up through now has just been prologue to real sports betting coming to the state. But um, I could see Chris's research picking up some traction again when mobile finally launches and people can compare the first month of legal online betting in New York, which might have a billion dollars in handle right out of the gate, uh, to a couple hundred million in the entire first two years of retail only. It will provide a stark contrast.
0: Yeah, and I, I, I think we're gonna find out by the end of the summer, how well or not well this New York process is going. You know They're sending out what they call basically RFPs, requests for proposals and all that. And we'll, we'll kind of get a better sense of what the regulations are gonna be, um, who's, who's bidding, who's not, who's suing, who's not, you know, that sort of thing. So uh, it's gonna be a bit of a process. I, I think there's gonna be some hiccups, but I do think after, you know, for years thinking it's never gonna happen, I, I think they'll get it through somehow. It's not gonna be pretty, but they'll get through. It's time to welcome a special guest from the
2: world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview.
1: We all have our assumptions about sports bettors and betting operators and what drives their decisions, but even better than assumptions are actual facts and data. HPL Digital Sport just released a report titled 2021 State of the Sports Betting Industry, in which it surveyed 178 sports betting executives between last March and this April, and 822 sports bettors this April. And joining us now to discuss the findings is HPL Digital Sport CEO Ed Moed. Ed, welcome to Gamble On.
2: Thank you, Eric. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: So I think the most eye-popping stat, or, or at least the one that generated the most conversation in our company, Slack, is that you found that 33% of bettors are women. Uh, people in our company generally believe that number to be more like 20 to 25%, based on purely anecdotal evidence. Um, were you surprised that the number came in that high? And what's your margin for error on that?
2: Sure. Um, I wasn't surprised because a year ago we did another study where we interviewed 5,000 sports bettors, many of them newer sports bettors, and the number was almost 28%. So the fact is, is that I think the pandemic has created this opportunity where maybe one of the only opportunities where people are at home, they have their phones, it's mobile, they're with their families, they're watching sports. And you have a lot of casual people who are becoming casual sports bettors for any typical night or any typical game that might be out there. I also think that there are women now who are more betting seriously and want to bet seriously because of the advance of technology and the opportunities it affords them. And the margin of error is very small. It's 0.5 to 1.5 percent.
1: Okay, so it's definitely somewhere right there, around 33%. Uh, I did have a bit of a weird theory uh, that, I, that I wanted to just get your feedback on. There's, when I first saw the number, I wondered if maybe it was inflated because there are married male sports bettors who sign up their wives for accounts so they can bonus hunt, lock in profits by taking both sides when there's an odds boost, etc. I do know actual people who have done this. I won't name them and out them here. But um Could the survey have included women who have accounts but don't actually bet? Could they have factored into the survey and and into that 33% or is that that not a possible theory with regard to this?
2: It could absolutely be a small, small percentage. But the reality is, is that for a lot of our clients, before we are going to start marketing campaigns, understanding the sports better and talking to them and doing online focus groups and so forth, we're able to see what new audiences are emerging. And we're seeing that women have just grown in terms of their interest, And a lot of it's because of the social opportunities through mobile and through technology that it provides now.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm particularly interested in the uh, trusted brand name concept. You know, uh, I'm a young baby boomer, and so uh, my group indeed uh, believes that uh, the trusted brand name is the most important thing in choosing uh, signing up for a sports betting app. That's good for casinos, obviously, because they have an older audience. And millennials are pretty into daily fantasy sports, so that's good for DraftKings and FanDuel. But now you have Gen Z coming along and saying – you know, really, we're more interested in if a friend or family member recommends us, they, they send us something. Uh, we'll trust that. We don't we don't worry about what the brand name is. So, you know, based on that, all the merger and acquisition talk I ever hear seems to be about, you know, acquiring the brand name and that's instant credibility and all that. So, so to what extent do you think the operators are maybe missing the boat a little bit on uh, I mean, maybe not so much so far, but they're going to have to change in the future, I guess.
2: I mean, I think it's a nuanced thing. I think that everyone cares about a brand, right? Even Generation Z does. But I think they they looked at, it's probably more friends than family. They looked at it, everything with Gen Z and that age group is a social experience. It's an experience yeah. they can do with their friends. They can trade, they can brag, they can do different things. So for them, it's more about, We'll try new things. We're on there trying the newest social channels. We're trying the newest technologies. We're trying the newest different things that are out there with regard to sports betting. As long as we can have fun with our friends doing it and they're referring us or bringing us into the mold, that's kind of, I think, where they are coming from Brand, I still think is important. Once they get in there, everything has to work, the product, the experience, and then they all of a sudden see that they like this brand and they might stick with it. But they're also tempted to try other new things if friends are referring them to it. So I think the lesson here is if you're a sports book and online casino, or whatever, how can you have really smart friends and family programs for those groups? How do you attract those referrals to be able to bring them in? Yeah, I'm just
0: realizing now that you say it, um, you know, uh, I can be impressed by, you know, Caesars Entertainment or whatever, around since 1946 or something, or this since 1971. But nothing that the Gen Z people are interested in was around 25 years ago. Very little of it was around 10 years ago. A lot of it isn't even five years old. So they're not sitting around going, well, how long have you been in business? It could be six months if their friends like it. uh, They'll trust it because there's so much new innovation now constantly. So that is a different mindset, which makes sense, you know, for them. And, you know, in the same way, you know, another version kind of made sense for me.
2: Yeah. It makes sense. I mean, FanDuel and DraftKings are their version of your Caesars or Bally's or MGM, you know, and those casinos are now all trying to modernize through their apps and everything to, to um, appeal to that group. But, you know, this is an important group because it's growing. It loves to use the technology and it's an important group to target and and understand in terms of what they care about. So I think that's that data is really great for that.
1: Cool. So there's something that stood out to me that was um, not one of the key takeaways that you highlighted uh, in, in the press release that went along with the survey, but I found it really interesting that... Twenty percent of bettors still use offshore sportsbooks. Seventeen percent still use a bookie, and thirty-two percent admitted placing bets through a friend in a legal sports betting state. Did that latter number, being so high, surprise you at all? Um, and, and how rapidly do you anticipate these numbers dropping in the years ahead?
2: So the interesting thing is that I don't. It didn't surprise us that much. But I bet if we did this in six months, as we probably will. Those numbers will keep dropping, and a year from now, uh, dramatically. And two years from now, they'll be eight percent, five percent. And I think some of it's education. I think some of it's adoption um, with with new betters who are coming on, like younger betters. Well, everyone's used a bookie from time to time, right? And younger betters like using bookies as well. But the reality is that you're not always willing to give it up until you feel like that whatever I'm using, the three or four different apps or sites are going to be enough for me in terms of what I'm doing. I think that going to another state, as every state opens up or most states open up, that's not going to be an issue in, in the future. And I think that offshore, you know, some of those offshore books are in trouble because they get so much American business and that spigot is slowly closing so I think some of its access and some of its education and we're going to find year or two from now it's going to change the education is important though I think the sports books have to talk about what they offer and why sometimes when you use an offshore book it may not be the right thing for you whether it's legal or or not legal and so a lot of it is what the legal betting community has to do to keep promoting the, the positives that they bring forward basically responsible gaming as an example.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and I don't know if you agree with this, but I find it encouraging that the number betting uh, not entirely legally through friends who live in other states is much higher than those betting not entirely legally with the offshore sports books. That I, I think that probably, would you say, that's a good sign for the regulated industry growing, going forward, that if it's not available in your state, the instinct of more people is to at least be more comfortable betting, betting through a, a legal regulated sports book.
2: Yeah, that's a really good point. You can absolutely look at it that way, Art, or you can look at it like betters are insatiable and they'll do anything. You said, you know, opening up their wife, and w- account their wives names, right. You know, where they, I'm in New Jersey. So going from New York to New Jersey, you know, there's so many betters that come over here to the other side all the time. And it's, it it, it will remain until state by, you know, New York's opening up until all these States open up. I think it's more of, I love sports betting and now I can do it on my phone. So I'll have my friend do it basically, you know?
0: Yeah. I'm from New Jersey also, Ed, but I, I won't ask you what exit you're at, but uh, maybe off camera. But <laughs> so, uh, at any rate, though, I was also interested in another generational issue, which is uh, odds and promotions, right? So the boomers are saying, "Look, you know, I, I want to get a want to get good odds. I don't want to feel like you know I could have gone the other book and gotten a better deal." And then promotions, I I got a a big opportunity to make some easy money. And then obviously the books, you know, figure in the long run you'll spend it anyway. Uh, but they don't know how cheap I am, so they're actually wrong there. <laughs> but um, so I'm curious, and this is purely speculative, I suppose, but so the uh, generation Z seems to be less price sensitive there and, or, and even promotion, you know, is not as important to them as like the experience, right? right. So if they, as you say, they can share it with their friends, they really enjoy it, get a kick out of it. They're not looking at the, around the margins on did they you know, they could have made an extra 4% if they went this way or not. It, it, do you think that could be something that is, is unique to that generation in the sense that as they get older, they'll stay that way. Or by the time they're in their 50s, are they going to be looking for the you know cutting coupons and looking for only taking a promotion and saying, wait a minute, uh, you know, I heard from my friend that this book has better odds and, you know, I, I want to make a little bit more money. So you know, it's hard to tell. But um, do, is it is it this generation is going to go this way? Or is it just that this is their age and that everybody ages out and winds up in the same boat when they're 60?
2: Probably the latter. And I think as as people get older and more immature, they see um different um priorities appeal to them. But you know what's really interesting here? This is what I think is the most important thing, casinos and sports books, and those need to understand. For the younger generations, just like the younger generations use Facebook or TikTok or those, this is a social experience for them. And as much as they want to make money, they want to brag to their friends. And so you can think about it as, yeah, my 21-year-old son does actually care about the odds, so it's not everyone out there. But the reality is a lot of them, it becomes much more of a, how can I be social? Is there a platform where we can do this on? Are there fun things we can do? Sure, I'll put down 20 or 50 bucks or I'll have a $200 account, but I may only go that far for right now. And I care less about going to four different sports books to figure out who's got a little bit better of an odds or what's the better promo ad I get, which most people do who are our age or older um, and who really care about winning because this group looks at it as it's another thing I'm going to do as entertainment and I might be winning or losing money, but it's social and it's fun. And that's an important distinction for the gaming world to really understand when they're targeting the younger audience at this point.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. It, it makes me, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking almost like, you know, they're spending money on a concert, at least they will be when COVID's over. Yeah. Uh, and they don't worry about, well, what, you know, I, gee, I, I spent a hundred bucks and at the end of the night, I'm out a hundred bucks, obviously, but they, they know that's worth it. And so, as you say here, if there's enough entertainment value and the social engagement with all their friends and they lose the 50 bucks, let's say, then they don't care, it's worth it. And, and then there's no bonus, by the way, you might not lose, you might actually win. So I can see the engagement there being different Whereas Yeah, for a better who basically is just going to say, if I win this game, I win money and it's good. And if I don't win this game, I lost money. It's all bad. There's nothing there's nothing valuable to them necessarily about betting and losing. Whereas here, really, there's so much else involved that uh, that is something I guess gaming companies are going to have to look at and consider. And it's kind of good for them in a way because they're they're getting customers that maybe are less much less results sensitive, I guess I would say, because they can lose the money and not think, well, it was a waste of time. They still got a lot out of it.
2: I mean, if you're all about price, then you're a commodity, right? So then the question is, how do you create a brand around a commodity, which is, which has been done with casinos for a long time, but the in the online world, there's got to be something more. There's got to be a differentiator, um, especially, and women are the same way. Women tend to care less about the odds and the social experience and the credibility of being referred. So you're seeing it, it, it has created a different dynamic in the way these companies have to build their their books, basically.
1: All right. Fascinating stuff. Great talking
2: to you, Ed. Uh, Where can people go
1: to learn more about uh, what HPL is doing?
2: Thank you. So uh, HPLDigitalSport.com is our website. We have all of our studies up there and you can learn a lot about what the sports better cares about. Our recent study actually talk to 200 leading sports betting executives as well to ask them where they're going and where they see the opportunity. So kind of contrast that as well. So um, that information is available.
1: All right. Yeah. It was a fascinating study and uh, we're uh, looking forward to the results from the next one, but uh, for now, thanks so much for coming on gamble on.
2: Thank you both. Much appreciated. Two men, men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all?
0: It's time to check in on the Gamble on Bankroll.
1: Another not-so-fabulous week for our bankroll, as John and I each scored a win on smaller bets, but... Uh, A loss or combination of losses with our bigger bets. Uh, Mine first, my boxing bet $50 at even money on Stevenson Nakatila to go over eight and a half rounds that was a winner as the fight went the full 12 rounds, but I lost $110 on the Clippers to cover as three and a half point underdogs in game two versus Utah They lost that game by six. Uh, John, you had a small winner on the Marlins to beat the Rockies last Thursday. They did win handily, but as minus 230 favorites on a $50 bet, the profit is a modest 22 bucks. Uh, Mm. And unfortunately you had a rough week with the golf bets, losing $120 total on three Ian Poulter bets and a Brooks Kepka bet. Uh, If I may offer some encouraging news, and we could certainly use some, uh, we have almost $800 worth of baseball futures bets. And almost all of them are currently on pace to win. Uh, That doesn't help us at this moment, though. Uh, We lost $158 on the week. We're now $1,382 in the hole. We still have $1,227 on hold in futures bets. So that leaves us with $7,391 available to bet with this week. And I'm up first. And I'll admit up front, I'm doing poorly with NBA postseason betting so far. Uh, my Nuggets Blazers to go seven games bet. I think that was good process, just mm, an unfortunate yeah. result. I'm fine Great. with that. But uh, but I missed on that Clippers game last week. I missed on a round one Clippers game. And my bet on the Bucks to win the series versus the Nets, I did it in part because of the good odds, plus 185. But still, I really misjudged it. The Nets have had horrendous injury luck. And they're still up three to two. The Bucs have been pathetic so far. Um, But I'm going down with the ship, taking one more shot on them. Uh, They're favored by five and a half at home tonight. I'm not interested in betting that line. Instead, I don't think we've done much over the course of these podcasts with adjusted lines. Hmm. But I see this as a game where, hey, the Bucs might win, they might lose. But I think there's a higher chance than is typical that they'll win in a blowout with all the Nets injury problems. And with Kevin Durant having played all 48 minutes the other day, this is the road game. This is the one Brooklyn is willing to lose. Uh, They're not going to mail it in. They're not going to give up. But if they fall behind, I think they're more likely to shut Harden down and save him for game seven and not to push Durant too hard either. I'm not saying Bucks in a route is the likely scenario, but it's one of the realistic scenarios at home, getting all the calls, trying to force a game seven. If we adjust the line to Milwaukee minus 14 and a half, that pays plus 320. So we can bet small and hope to win big. Let's go $50 to win 160 if the Bucks win this one by 15 or more. And I'll just say now if it fails and if the Bucks don't win the series, and so that bet fails too. I will admit that I suck at betting these NBA playoffs and I will sit out the last two rounds.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, this reminds me of, uh, God, it's 30 years ago. Uh, I bet I uh, had Jimmy Connors. I covered those matches, at the U S open 39 year old man, you know, screaming at the referees and everything and the, the crowd, just carrying him, you know, uh, through sheer will. And that's what, what happened. He, he'd win the first set and he loses. He's down three, nothing in the second set. And he's only got a limited amount of energy at that right. age. And so, you know, six, one in five minutes, it's gone. And then, and then the start the <laughs> other one. And, and he pulled out a number of five setters that way. So uh, I, I I kinda like your your approach on that. But okay. I usually do even when it doesn't work out. So <laughs> uh, now as far as the golf, you know, uh, Ian Polter, yeah, he managed to bogey his last hole to fall out of a piece of top twenty money, but I've sung that song before this year, haven't I? <laughs> just so close. All right. Now the U S open in San Diego, this is great stuff. This is a uh, probably, maybe the, hopefully the most exciting tournament of the year. U S open tends to have the cream of the crop at the top and winning rather than somebody coming out of nowhere, Cinderella story, although Phil Mickelson at 50 was a great Cinderella story, but um, yeah. that's not going to happen here. Um, so I decided on eight golfers I liked and then went price shopping and I'm uh, just choosing a couple, uh, Now, Patrick Reed is placed in the top 20 in six straight majors, which is amazing. And while he's even money, you know, to do it all over again, um, on BetMGM, where ties are paid in full, I get that. So 50 on Reed at plus 100, top 20. Um, Also 20 on Reed, top 10 at plus 200. And then uh, Reed, 10 to win at plus 2,500. Now, more modestly, Paul Casey, top 20 uh, at, going going to bet 30 for plus 138. Um, Casey's been quietly getting better and better at majors in his forties. And Adam Scott, another youngster, uh, top 40 for, for 20 units at plus 100. Uh, and finally, nobody cares. But in my pool, I choose a third of my four ROMs and the third of my four Shoffley picks with a slim lead to knock those players off the board because I know the other contenders are all going to take them. Also, my third Morikawa because I like him second best and sticking with Reed, only my second Reed pick because he's got an otherworldly short game and loves the big stage. And um, I'm really hoping he wins this damn thing.
1: <laughs> all right. Whatever whatever subset of our listeners who sweat <laughs> along with our bets and then now, we're, now there's the, the subset of that subset Set that sweats along with your with your golf ball. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're fully informed of what you're sweating this weekend. All right. Well,
0: there's also a subset that's rooting against my picks, which is <laughs> just, entertaining. You know, no, I, like, I
1: can't they, imagine that they call true. it hate
0: watching. I do that. You know, if if, if uh, I have nobody in contention, but there's a couple of players who've been picked by you know rivals that are going for the lead, I hate watch them you know, and right. the other guys.
1: <laughs> I like to believe our listeners are fully rooting for us and <laughs> okay. think of us as their friends, but yeah. maybe not all of them. Um, so for my second bet. Uh, uh, here's something we don't do often, a tennis futures bet. Um, first of all, Adam Small is off the hook for talking me out of Tsitsipas at 7-1. to one. Uh, It was touch and go whether I would have a rant directed at him, uh, but uh, that would have been a losing bet ultimately, so that's fine. Um, his attitude uh, regarding the French, the Nadal was pretty close to a sure thing. It didn't pan out this time, and, and I wasn't buying it. I thought Nadal was ready to stumble. I do not think Novak Djokovic will stumble at Wimbledon. If you simply ask me straight up, even money, I can have Djokovic or I can have the field at Wimbledon. I'm taking Djokovic. I think he should be minus money, but I found him at plus one thirty. So I'm jumping on it early. Joker to win Wimbledon, one hundred dollars to win one hundred thirty.
0: Well, I got to ask you then the hot take is uh, Djokovic, the greatest player of all time.
1: Uh, it's getting it's getting so weird with these stats that, and how quickly it's turning over that it, you know it was uh 10 years ago uh, it was still uh I guess Sampras maybe uh w- w- or or uh Rod Laver um uh and then and then it's suddenly it's Federer and nobody's ever going to beat him and then oh wait maybe it's Nadal and then oh, now it's Djokovic I guess on the numbers uh and especially given his age that he could keep doing this for another five years um I don't know that I would call him the greatest yet if I had to guess I think that when he retires he it will be close to consensus that he is
0: Well, uh, in spite of having covered a lot of uh, professional tennis in the 80s and 90s, surprisingly, I'm not doing a get-off-my-lawn thing. I think those three are easily the best three players of all time. And obviously, if if they didn't all three exist at the same time, particularly uh, the first two, uh, Mm -hmm. I I think they would have a ridiculous number of majors. So they knocked each other off, kind of uh, Everett and Avertilova a little bit. So um, they're they're the best. I remember in 1999, we were doing a million of these, you know, this of the century, that of the century. Right. And so with the U.S. Open, I remember talking to John Newcomb, getting his, like, top five of all time, and uh, it was kind of fun just getting a lot of legendary players to pick who their favorite legendary players are. And now looking at these three, I mean, you know, it's it's child's play, picking that thing, the the, uh, players of this century, perhaps even – 80 years from now might be these three, or at least in the top 10.
1: Maybe, although I do wonder also just how much of their success uh, we attribute to advanced training methods, advanced sports science. Mm-hmm. I mean, to see all these guys lasting well into their 30s when McEnroe was basically done by 25, and the part of that's on McEnroe, but still, uh, you know, Borg retiring more even though he made a comeback uh, in his 20s and all that it's just a bit of a different game in terms of how long these guys could last and we see that with lebron james in the nba as well um so there is that and they have the 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 other two each pushing them um which which helps them but with all that said i won't dispute your claim that these are probably the three greatest ever just uh, looking
0: at, at at how well they play and how long they've been doing it yeah absolutely so now finally i've got another baseball play why not i won what 22 bucks last week so <laughs> right. let's try that now the rockies are ter- over <laughs> yeah exactly i'm going for it you know the rockies are terrible on the road but they're really good at home a lot of people don't realize that the brewers they don't hit righties and they don't hit At night either so for Thursday night baseball 50 on the Rockies at plus 133 at home uh how are they not favored well they're taking on all-star Brandon Woodruff so it's going to be a challenge but um I think they get this one and I love the number I was hoping for even money and I got a lot better all right. Excellent. Uh,
1: and that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest Ed Moed. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to USBets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And with that, John, please take us out.
0: Yeah, so in our opening segment, you know, you mentioned feeling sorry for fans and or betters, and I kind of focus on fans. Um, well, I'll mention betters now. You know, it really takes me back to those 2012 depositions of league commissioners in the New Jersey sports betting case and other top executives of the leagues. And, you know, I mean, I was the first journalist to get my hands on some of these depositions. And, you know, my newspaper bosses knew I had a blog, but they didn't quite know what the hell that meant. And so I was able to lay out in great detail in multiple posts, you know, what many of the executives are saying. And so much of it was doomsday stuff, you know, sports betting is legal beyond nevada fans won't trust that the game still have integrity you know quote roger goodell if gambling is permitted freely on sporting events normal incidents of the game such as bad snaps drop passes turnovers penalties and play calling inevitably will fuel speculation distrust and accusations of point shaving or game fixing well we now have the most injury prone nba and mlb seasons ever and every time another big injury happens insider knowledge obviously can make somebody rich but A, that's always been true. And B, I'm not hearing about any backlash for fans. Um, Many sophisticated bettors are not going to wind in public. They've been betting for years, even before it was legal. And, you know, some of them are going to just focus in further on how to get some news a minute or two before the books do and adjust their lines and and get the edge. I mean, that's what has happened in harness racing for 100 years. So, you know, this whole idea of the integrity Armageddon, if we legalize beyond Nevada, I mean, it's a great example. I mean, people supposedly, you know, kind of uh, emerging like cicadas from the ground when their state legalized betting and they bet $500 on the first game. And then it turns out that this player, you know, has been ruled out just before and they, they think they got screwed. And like, it's nonsense. None of it happened. So I think I'm almost done bashing Goodell and the uh, experts <laughs> then, but uh, I just remember reading these depositions. And of course the judge in New Jersey, um, absolutely an injunction against Monmouth park offering sports betting. It would cause irreparable harm to the leagues. If uh, they spent two weeks, uh, you know, Offering bets like Nevada does before I rule against the state as he always did. It just made no sense then and makes no sense to me now. So, with that observation, until next time, gamble on, everybody.